Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a billionaire called Danny. He's got a keen business sense, but sadly he isn't always there when his family needs him. Late to his daughter's birthday party and in need of a gift for her, he stops at a weird old pet shop run by me, Sam, a wild-haired old crank with a distinctive whispery voice and a twinkle in my eye. I decide to teach Danny a lesson, and being magical in some way, I turn him into a cat called Mr. Fuzzy Pants. I inform Mr. Fuzzy Pants that he must spend one week as his wife and daughter's cat, and if he does not learn the meaning of family love in that time, he will be doomed to spend the rest of his life as a feline. Hilarity ensues. Or it would do if this was a adaptation of upcoming comedy Nine Lives, starring Kevin Spacey and Christopher Walken. Instead, it's just a podcast wherein we sit around and talk about films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, rich-voiced bastard Tom Brand, who owns Firebrand, a.k.a. Danny Moran, a.k.a. Mr. Fuzzy Pants. Hello. Hello. On this week, Sam went boldly where no man has gone before. He also went to see Star Trek Beyond, which he will be reviewing. Meanwhile, I saw Wiener, the documentary about disgraced Congressman Anthony Wiener's less than successful 2013 bid to become mayor of New York. It's a film that combines my two great loves, searing political discourse and dick pics. We also discussed news that Mrs. Brown's boy's the movie, the sequel, might be on hiatus for the near the future and tell you why Luke Besson is reluctantly giving a shitload of euros to John Carpenter. All of which should give me enough time to perform my latest impression. Christopher Walken as Aquaman shopping at Whole Foods. <laughs> All right, let's see it. Let's see it. Christopher okay. Walken as Aquaman shopping at Whole Foods. I, some fish. Maybe a crab. And some octopi. <laughs> to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I think that's a good opening gambit. And I look forward to hearing that uh, in greater detail later. Maybe some dry seaweed. If you got it. I've lost it. I've lost it already. Fuck. Why is Aquaman buying a bunch of fish? What's he going to do? Free them? Why would he want to eat fish? Well, what else would he be shopping for in Whole Foods? Um, Something to go with the fish. Does he eat a lot of fish, Aquaman? I thought they were like his friends. He brings fish to the village going from that trailer. Yeah. Um, so he must kill a few. Right. I see what you mean. That's true. 
Unless he's just bringing them in to be friends with the village people. I thought it was more like he's just got, like, dominion over Yeah, right. Like, men have dominion over the land. Yeah. Aquaman has dominion over the sea. So... He probably farms and kills fish. Sure. I would say that if he was in a tight spot, he would just go to Whole Foods. That makes some sense. Yeah. He's stuck on land. He can't get into the ocean and kill the octopus himself. Yeah. So he's got to go to Whole Foods, where they probably sell that. Yeah, I mean, if any place is going to sell it, it's going to be Whole Foods. It's going to be Whole Foods. Fucking wanker's paradise, that place. <laughs> it's a wanker's paradise. Been spending most of my life shopping in a wanker's paradise. I go there to buy octopi. Shopping in a wanker's paradise. Right, yes. If Kay doesn't leave that all in <laughs> and the intro doesn't she'll, kick in there. She'll be missing a trick. <laughs> I mean, it's worth like the four minute of bullshit <laughs> back and forth about Aquaman for that great uh, Coolio reference. So um, friend of Film Chat and friend of us personally, Christopher Young, sent us a message, not really, you know, for the purposes of being Film Chat correspondents, but we're a bit thin on that this week. So we're having to delve into just our personal correspondence. He says, I have high hopes for these films. And he sent us a link to the news um, of the film adaptations of the Patrick Ness young adult series, um, Chaos Walking, and that it's going to star Daisy Ridley. So I didn't know they they were they were turning these into um, yeah. into movies. I understand that they're very beloved. I know that you're a big fan, and and Chris I, is also. Well, Chris bought me the first part of that trilogy, the knife never letting go, and let me the other two. I'm Chris is responsible for my love of this trilogy. It is awesome. I highly recommend them. I I think they're up there with his dark materials, right? In terms of awesome, huge ideas, light on description, heavy on plot. Right. Yeah. Gripping. Um, and uh, thought for broke. Yeah, but it's been in development for a while. Charlie Kaufman had a run of the script at one point. Really? And now Doug Lyman's on to direct it. But, but it's a very unwieldy premise because it exists, or at least the beginning of the first book begins, in a world where there are no women and it's a community of guys on a sort of uh, planet where it's kind of feudal and everyone can hear each other's thoughts. Okay. Which kind of works. It's kind of a bit tricky in book form to begin with and you sort of adjust to it but i don't have no idea how they translate it into film i guess a lot of sound design perhaps i don't know a lot of whispering in the background yeah <laughs> and then things gather from there so it's set on a non-earth planet yes and on this planet it's been completely normal they're humans there yeah so it's like earth but it's like medieval kind of fantasy world well like a feudal system it sort of develops from there they're like I don't want to give anything away. Oh, I see. So even the setting itself is kind of a spoiler. Well, the the most difficult, most boring chapter is the first chapter. Yeah. At the end of the first chapter, the shit hits the fan in a major way. So it's a bit like The Wire. Yeah. First episode, it's not that much. <laughs> you're a bit confused. It's a world you're not used to. Yeah. 
and then you know things start happening you're like oh actually this may, might be quite interesting um yeah exactly cool and from your experience of reading the novels do you think daisy ridley is a good fit for the woman character well i've only seen her do that one thing in a i've only seen her in one film <laughs> so which has only been in one hasn't she pretty much yeah yeah and that's uh... star wars by the way this in <laughs> case you're not aware she was in star wars yeah she could probably do that job i don't know <laughs> why not Okay, <laughs> well, she can probably act. I don't think yeah. her character is particularly good in Star Wars, so but the character I assume she's playing the lead in Chaos Walking Trilogy is really good. That's okay, another, cool. another one where they have like realistic kids who make mistakes and it's all capable and likable. Right, you yeah, yeah. Cast it well, or be, or would suck. That's know? one of the great strengths of his Dark Materials, I think, is that the yeah. kids are precocious but not too precocious. Yeah, yeah, it's got that sort of vibe to it. Yeah, precocious but vulnerable. Cool. All right. Well, I'm excited. Um, you better be. I'll lend you the books. Yes. I'll lend you uh, the copy of the first book I own, and I'll lend you the ones that Chris lent me, which I haven't given back to him yet. Perfect. By the way, Chris, I'm really sorry about not returning those books. There's another Patrick Ness movie coming out soon, isn't there? A Monster Calls. A Monster Calls, yeah. I started reading so... that book, but it, like apparently it's like gut-wrenchingly depressing. And I started reading it, I was like, even like a couple of chapters in, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can put myself through it. It's like a boy who befriends a giant tree, right? Yeah. Yeah, or a tree starts talking to him. It's got quite an epic trailer. You think that's going to be lighthearted? I mean, the first chapter, the mum's seems to be dying of cancer. Uh oh. I was like, uh oh. Uh oh, alarm bells ringing, downer alert. <laughs> and uh, Chaos Walking has one of the most traumatic chapters of any series. Like, I read it and like I had to put the book down and like walk around my kitchen. For, like, what did you do? Minutes. I just sort of like just wandered around. I just, the kitchen. Wandered, I just wandered around. Yeah, your your head in your hands. I was like tears running Ooh. down your face. Maybe have a lie down or yeah. I don't know. Were you dabbing your forehead with a yeah. cloth? Gosh. Okay. Well. Um, so prepare for yourself for that. I am. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to be trying to look look after my mental health um, before a little bit better than I have been before <laughs> before I delve into that to that novel. Another piece of correspondence comes from Dougal, who wrote in to comment on the Justice League trailer. Dougal McQueen. You got to say his full name, otherwise sure. it sounds too informal. Dougal, uh, Mr. McQueen. Mr. McQueen. One thing I just noticed in the Justice League trailer is if Israel Miller wasn't the Flash, Batman would have just killed a normal teenager for no reason. This is making reference to the fact that Batman throws one of his batarang, uh, sharp little bat things. He's testing the speed of the yeah, Flash. He yeah. throws it at his face, but luckily he's the Flash, so he dodges it. Uh, Dougal continues, how many geeks did he mow down before getting to the right one? Is that Alfred not in the trailer because he's burying all the bodies of decapitated programming enthusiasts and social rejects? I guess he must have been pretty sure he's the Flash. Yeah, he he. I don't think I don't think Batman would endanger. Well, maybe Snyder's Batman would. If there's a montage of him just like killing, killing like, a bunch hundreds of random of, nerds. like young guys. Yeah, or he brings a guy and he's like a professional sprinter, and he yeah. just throws a blade at his face and he dies. And he's like, well, yeah, it's like Usain Bolt or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Usain you Bolt cameo. Ow. Yeah, could be. That's a good question. The Flash does he like have to turn on and off being super speedy? Because presumably, you know, when he when he's wandering around, when he's just like being normal, yeah, does he have to consciously not go at ultra fast speed? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's a good is, point. is it is it like great effort for him? Yeah, and like, is are his reflexes like faster, or is it just well? That's what I'm, normal. That's, this is what I'm wondering. Yeah, because like, up. if he consciously needs to switch on. Yeah, his yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in fast mode thing. Right, yeah. I then yeah. someone throwing a batarang at his head, he might just die anyway because he didn't have time to think, oh, I should be fast now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I think I, the Flash is one of those guys who's got a very simple power, and it means that for, for the audience, it's quite easy to check how consistently it's applied. Yeah, and he's got essentially the same power as Quicksilver. It was something that bothered me a little bit in X Men Apocalypse, quite low down my list of concerns with that film. <laughs> but the fact that when he was in super fast mode, he could still move fast even within that. So yeah. like it was slow motion, everything that was going on, but he was also speeded up, and I was like, that makes no sense. Like, how fucking fast is he going? You know? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of a that's not really related to this dude's <laughs> comment. <laughs> but uh, but I guess we have to assume that when he's wandering around, he's constantly like, don't go at lightning speed. Yeah. I don't think that you being must able be a to terrible run, lover. being able to run really fast shouldn't mean that you can think fast, should it? No. Like, they shouldn't necessarily go together. Hmm. No. You're right. You're right. Maybe they'll establish. Maybe they'll probably delve into all this. It's only the trailer. We've got to give them time to have a good 25 minutes, like, nerdy back and forth about exactly how the Flash's powers work. That conversation <laughs> went nowhere. <laughs> Moving on. Brilliant. Oh, this Moving is good. On. I think this is like... Um, it's almost like we're punishing Katie for not being here. Our mind is free. The, t- the most total bullshit conversations ever. There's nothing she can do about it. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Okay, news time. So, um, Luke Besson, who is uh, best known now for producing a bunch of kind of shit Euro thrillers, but um, has previously directed some quite acclaimed movies like The Fifth Element and um, Leon, things like that. He has been ordered to pay um, John Carpenter, another old Hollywood legend who's a bit past it, um, almost 450,000 euros for plagiarizing John Carpenter's movie Escape from New York. And uh, the movie which is supposed to have plagiarized that is a film called Lockouts from 2012, starring uh, Guy Pearce. So in Escape from New York, Kurt Russell is a uh, sort of master criminal badass who has to go into a dystopian New York to rescue the president's daughter. Is that correct? Yeah, New York is a prison. New York has turned into a prison in the future, and and uh, Kurt Russell's character, Snake Plissken, has to go in there and get him out, and like only a criminal badass can do it or something like that. And in Luc Besson's film Lockout, uh, it's, it's kind of the space. same, but space. <laughs> yeah, it's like a space prison. <laughs> it's a space prison, and he's a criminal, and he's got to be sent in. Yeah, so you've seen these I've movies. I've seen Lockout. I've seen Escape from New York. And, and how do you see, would you say that it's like um, lawsuit worthy? Absolutely. It's a complete ripoff. Actually, one of the interesting points, I don't know if it came up in the court case, but the beginning of Lockout is identical to the deleted original beginning of escape from new york so not only did they rip off escape from new york they even ripped off the bits the that stuff, didn't make it in <laughs> the yeah. stuff they cut out it is like a really shit movie but guy pierce is very watchable and um i think we should play a clip of some of the great dialogue and um charisma he brings to the role <laughs> yeah let's treat people to it what happened in that motel room uh it was coupon night and i was trampolining your wife <laughs> You're a real comedian, aren't you, Snow? Well, I guess that's why they call it the punchline. You don't like me, do you? Don't flatter yourself. I don't like anybody. With that attitude, I can see why nobody likes you. Oh, come on. People love me. Just ask your wife. (laughs) 
What happened in that room in New York? <clears throat> what, what was the question? <clears throat> what happened in that room? Who was the mystery man on the phone? Uh, his name was Fuck You. Really? Yeah, he was Asian. That is a fantastic, fantastic clip. It's amazing, and it's followed by... Indistinguishable from an SNL skit version of it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the scene immediately after that one is some of the worst CGI you'll ever see in a film, <laughs> uh, which has to be seen to be believed. It makes me really respect Guy Pearce, because it's essentially like they didn't bother, and he's just like on a sort of green box reacting to explosions, and he's really selling the <laughs> hell out of it. <laughs> he's, a great, he's a great actor. They haven't met a, yeah, I think it was a bit of a sort of mortgage payment gig. But yeah, it's cool because it's one of those things where there's many like movies come out like, oh, that's just this movie, but you know, ripped off, whatever. And you always wonder like if those things are just beyond, yeah, so hard to like nail down or you know the sort of people just claim it's just genre cliches tied together or yeah, absolutely, like yeah, that, or it's like or influential. Or yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's kind of cool that Carpenter they... is like, I'm not taking this. Yeah, listen, Besson. Listen, Besson. Um, it was unfortunate for Lou Besson, I think, because like originally, he this is like the second um, verdict against him, ruling against him or something like that. And originally, it was much less money, but then he took it back to court, and now it's like much, much more, like, about <laughs> ten times more than it was before. It, although John Carpenter had demanded two point four million dollars, so he didn't get that, didn't get yeah. quite that much. Maybe he would have got more money if that movie hadn't been such a flop. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm not sure of that. The movie even made two point four million dollars. So. I don't think that much money has seen has gone anywhere near this film. Uh, part of the uh, there's an explanation from the um, judges about the similarities between the movies. They say the heroes of both got into the prison by flying in a glider space shuttle, had to confront inmates led by a chief with a strange right arm, found hugely important briefcases, and meet a former sidekick who then dies. At the end of both films, the heroes keep secret documents recovered during their mission. All these uh, similarities, apparently. Yeah. Bit of bit spoilery from the judges. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, pay Carpenter Besson. Luke Besson's next movie is called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and it cost $180 million. So, so he's okay. So why is he so tight? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why he's so wealthy. Yeah, that's how he got to have a thousand planets that mean. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Maybe not just 15 or something. In other movie finance news, um, Sam, I know you love Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yeah, I do. I like the TV show. I like the film. I love it. You love it? I love the brand. Well, I hate to the burden of bad news it's more of a lifestyle it's my it's, it's a creed <laughs> for me it's a way of life <laughs> um well they were planning on making um mrs brown's boys the sequel the movie too whatever they're going to call it yeah uh they were going to call it mrs de brown's de boys the movie the <laughs> movie de brown the harder <laughs> um is following brexit 
brexited has obviously affected the sterling and the creator of mrs brown's boys the movie and mrs brown himself brendan o'connell says they were planning to do the gig uh meaning the sequel this year but the numbers weren't right because the brexit has mean there's a drop in the sterling and makes it the project just more expensive to mount which means they're on hiatus until the sterling levels if it does or if they get extra funds and they're obviously keen to make the movie because the original film was made for practically no money and grossed 20 million <laughs> oh my god <laughs> at the box office yeah but i mean there's a kind of serious point to this because not that i'm particularly clamoring for a mrs brown's boys the movie the sequel but you get the sense that similar films of a small budget would be similarly affected yeah absolutely so thanks farage now we won't get to see an amazing indie film by up-and-coming director yes. because you fucked us all over. And you, Gove. And you, Johnson. Who else was in the Eve campaign? Well, you can um, you can lay into Cameron if you like. Cause he, oh, Cameron. He's the one who got the referendum going in the first place. You, you, you bastards. You bastard. You, you bastards. You pig-fucking tax-dodging bastard. Yes, good. Good yeah. political firebrand uh, stuff. Yeah, and in a way, it's a shame that this um, story is kind of wrapped around this movie that absolutely no one wanted to see. It's got 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. In the Guardian um, article about its delay, they've got a sidebar with the review of Mrs. Brown's Boys to Movie. And the reviewer, Mike Cahill, gave it one stars and describes it as a flatly indifferent cash-in. So it's a shame it, that it's not like the sequel to, I don't know, Shaun the Sheep or something that was like, yeah, you know, much more and... beloved and they're not going to make... Um, because of this Brexit thing. And it's just like one of the first really concrete consequences of Brexit that we've heard of. Because it's, there's been a lot of uncertainty post-Brexit because um, nothing has really been set in stone yet. We're yeah. not really yet feeling you know, direct consequences. And this is kind of one of the earliest things. Do you think if the Remain campaign had used the Mrs. Brown sequel as an example of something good for staying in the eu yes we would have snuck it i think so yes yeah i think mrs brown's boys to movie was very popular among the crowd of people who voted to yeah. leave the eu the disillusioned masses yeah exactly i think it's it all was a real well i think it made that money as a kind of anti-establishment statement they read all the reviews and they were like the man hates this film and i'm gonna flock to it in um our droves yeah in my drove i'm getting into my drove and i'm going with a lot of my friends see this movie so so yeah i think they should have their, their, the remain campaign should have had a lot more concrete examples of like some consequences yeah and then that should have been and then the sort of floating voter be like oh i would like 350 million more for the nhs but, but i'd much rather see mrs brown's boys the movie the movie to sequel yeah i don't two. want i've got to see that got to see that can't, that can't be awful if that's not made <laughs> and now for danny to review a film he recently saw was it staggeringly brilliant was it oscar-chingly poor out of danny for the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts if he does a rubbish job then sam will tell him off so this week i saw the documentary wiener which is available at the prince charles at the moment and a few of the usual haunts for your slightly less than mainstream movies around London. And there's also an iTunes where I saw it and you can rent it for £3.50. Very reasonable. A bargain. It is directed by a woman called Ellie Strandberg and co-directed by Josh Kriegman, who was the one-time chief of staff for Anthony Weiner, which explains the crazy amount of access they got on this film. Wow, that's really cool. And so to give a little backstory, Anthony Weiner was this rising star in the Democratic Party who made big waves as a congressman and was notorious for being very combative and straight shooting 
and uh, really putting Republicans in their place when they were doing something generally immoral and just playing the game. He was, you know, he was a straight-talking guy in politics. And in 2011, it came to light that he'd been engaging with sexting women he met online, well, he met online and never met in person, and sending photos of his penis. Obviously, being on Anthony Weiner, sending pictures of your dick. Yeah, the embarrassing had- for most people, but... Yeah. Especially for this guy. Press had a field day, and shortly afterwards, he resigned after briefly trying to pretend that his Twitter account was hacked. And a day later, he's like, that's just not true. And so they thought his career was over. And then in 2013, he ran to be mayor of New York and allowed this documentary crew, somewhat hubristically, to film his campaign. And during the campaign, it was uncovered that he had briefly partaken in more sexting (laughs) after he'd resigned. And the film details the fallout from that and generally explores the media's relationship with politics and just the whole circus of that institution yeah and here's a clip which starts the documentary which is weiner ripping into republicans in 2010 after they voted down a bill to give free health care to the 9-11 first responders who who contracted health problems while um carrying out all this amazing heroism that's a that's a campaign that john stewart is quite prosecuting at the moment mr speaker i yield one minute to the distinguished gentleman from new york mr weiner Great courage to wait until all members have already spoken and then stand up and wrap your arms around procedure. We see it in the United States Senate every single day where members say, we want amendments, we want debate, we want amendment, but we're still a no. And then we stand up and say, oh, if only we had a different process, we'd vote yes. You vote yes if you believe yes. You vote in favor of something if you believe it's the right thing. If you believe it's the wrong thing, you vote no. We are following yeah, a procedure. I will not yield no, to the gentleman, and the gentleman will observe regular order. The gentleman will observe regular order. Gentleman thinks that if he gets up and yells hard, he's going to intimidate people into believing he's right. He is wrong. The gentleman is wrong. The gentleman is providing cover for his colleagues rather than doing the right thing. It's Republicans wrapping their arms around Republicans rather than doing the right thing on behalf of the heroes. It is a shame. A shame. So I thought it was great. It's a really fascinating subject matter. And this uh, crew of documentarians had unbridled access to it. And that's pretty much all you need for a good documentary. But it sort of um, supersedes just the subject matter at points. He's a fascinating guy who is in turn sort of inspirational, likable, arrogant, humble, smart, and dumb. (laughs) All at the same time. He's like a mixture of contradictions and hypocrisies. And... What's so interesting about the sexting scandal is its embarrassment to actual wrongdoing ratio is really sort of askew in that he didn't really like he didn't sleep with somebody else or hire a prostitute or do drugs or spend taxpayers money. all the usual scandals which, you know, sort of have a 72 hour life cycle. But he probably got more abuse for that because it's the most embarrassing of yeah. recent scandals. And um the beginning third of the documentary before the second wave of scandals hits is um, a portrayal of a principled man who is righteously indignant trying to relaunch his career, but you think for the right reasons and you kind of root for him. And he has to weather a lot of cheap shots from all these debates of people bringing up the sexting. And uh, you can't help but want him to succeed. And then when the second scandal breaks, it's uncannily like Armando Inucci has scripted it. And if you're a fan of like politics or just the general like thick of it sort of vibe, there's this amazing footage of the campaign team 
getting this news in and like trying to like figure out how they're gonna like firefight this so is that kind of they're filming like when they when they hear wow yeah and it's kind of amazing and what's interesting about Wiener or Weiner, however you pronounce it, is that what makes him an effective champion of the middle class and real issues and, you know, a straight shooter is what kind of contributes to his downfall. And he kind of comes out swinging in the sort of second wave of allegations. Yes, I said my <laughs> penis to my to some people online. Yes. And uh, as his, you know, numbers dwindles and he trails in the polls, like, it's almost like he's liberated by... Uh, the fact that he, he can't win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And he doesn't like take any shit and it's kind of admirable. And I don't know, I kind of find myself rooting for him because it's really like, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it doesn't not... make him a worse mayor or... Yeah. Yeah. But there's full of, it's like really good documentaries. It's full of interesting characters and possibly even more interesting than him is his wife, uh, Huma Abedin, who is Hillary Clinton's most trusted advisor. And... um it's quite a sort of reserved character and doesn't really talk that much, but she kind of spoke during the initial phase of this campaign to sort of stand by her husband and give the um, campaign like a bit of boost at the beginning. It's particularly hard for the wife who's got a, yeah, like, the say wronged that wife. they're totally cool with some horrible yeah, yeah. scandal. Yeah, exactly. And um, That's always she doesn't like talk a lot, but she's often in the room where like stuff is going on and like her reactions are kind of priceless. It's a bit like, you know, I love you, but what are you doing? Uh, yeah. And um, she's sort of like an avatar for the audience because it's like she has the biggest sort of perspective on things. Yeah. Like everyone's sort of like in the in the trenches slightly and he's slightly deluded. And she, you, you're like her. You're like, come on, this is not going <laughs> to end well. And there's a lot of sort of black comedy in the she's film. She's doing wry glances to camera, like yeah. uh, House of Cards style. There's a bit where like the she's just like making a coffee and like in the middle of this, you know, horrible handed by the press. And a documentarian's like, How's it going? She's like, she's like, so it's like, it's like living in a nightmare. <laughs> and it just walks off. And yeah, I don't know. Fantastic. Kinda, she was great. If the film had just been about this specific scandal, it would have been an entertaining and perfectly like serviceable film. But what kind of elevates is that it's a film about a scandal, but also about scandals in general and how they can hijack political campaigns and destroy them. And they're just generally detrimental to any kind of um, democratic process. And how we seem to treat politicians with contempt and then hold them to higher standards than we do anybody else in the media. Yeah, yeah. And how the sort of hypocrisy there and how everyone was so willing to hound Anthony Weiner and like, you know, no one was really paying attention to what he's actually saying about housing and healthcare and Sure, yeah. That stuff is kind of fascinating, the sort of, I don't know, the central kind of lie of that kind of discourse. Yeah, the, the the media is really feral, but really sanctimonious <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. And there's also another interesting element of the documentary is that it's a documentary that's documenting somebody who's used to managing his perception of himself and controlling the narrative of his life, being put in a, a position where he's constantly reacting to things and kind of, you know, he's got no control anymore and he's just got to come out swing. And there's something weirdly hypocritical about the film is almost a comment on the perils of documenting everything and... Uh, you know, you go on a rabbit hole of analysing somebody too much. Yeah. You can't help but um, sort of, like, end negatively. Like, if you just scrutinise someone enough... They're going to end up looking... <laughs> yeah, they look terrible. Flawed and, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting in the sort of year of Trump where Wiener's, like, so transparent and honest about his shortcomings and it is uh, goes terribly for him. People just, you know, use it as more um, ammunition. ammunition. Yeah. Whereas, like, Trump is, like 
just outwardly racist and it's going wonderfully for him and this weird sort of well and also every win. time he's confronted with a problem he's just just he's just like it's the greatest we're doing the best <laughs> i got the best team the campaign is going really well you know he just says anything you know yeah. And someone's like, last year, you're saying your relationship with Putin. It's like, I don't have a relationship with him. I have no relationship with Putin. I, what is a relationship? I don't have a relationship with him. And I've never met the guy. You know, and he just lies. He lies, lies outright. Yeah. So yeah. I, it, I know all the words. I got the best words. We got the best. Is it, yeah, yeah. It's just like a sort of fascinating area. And I, it's kind of yeah. the filming conditions because it was, um, I think, maybe in his head, he thought there was going to be a triumphant comeback and it was going to all be documented. Mm. Um. Well, that's always like a lot of our documentaries are really interesting when they were started in a circumstance that is totally yeah, different yeah, yeah. to how they end up. Absolutely. Always like that. But there are just millions of like little candid moments, which is like so brilliant. And especially like how he's like, he can like allows himself to be filmed practicing his speeches and stuff. And wow, but that yeah, doesn't. That's amazing. But then in a way, that doesn't really diminish his um, genuineness. You really think he's like a sort of straight shooting guy like very righteously indignant i get the sense he just enjoys a fight and he doesn't like bullies yeah it's like his sort of thing i think a good politician is a combination of someone who's principled and also a bit narcissistic yeah exactly that's probably what you want and that's definitely definitely i I think it's really interesting as well thinking about political scandals in, in the age of trump because um trump is someone who the establishment um does not want to succeed and they're um natural uh way to deal with someone like that is to um it's just like death by a thousand cuts and scandals and stuff and every yeah. time he says something stupid it's like plastered all over the news and the media and everyone is talking about it um and it's this it's, it's it is like a fascinating phenomenon because in trump's case the circus is part of why he became popular in the first place so in a way it's kind of like free um coverage for him and it's like you know gets all this advertising doesn't have to pay for yeah, yeah. um but uh, at the same time it's interesting because um he would he's obviously like a terrifying figure and would be an incredibly disastrous dangerous president but the anything you there is no kind of adult conversation going on about the trump phenomenon like he only is where he is because republican voters put him there but instead of examining that, all that people can do is like, did you hear what Trump just said? He said this yeah, crazy yeah, thing, yeah. He did this stupid thing. And it's just like a series of stories about the latest outrageous thing that he's done. And they're hoping that if he does enough outrageous stuff, there's enough stories like that, he won't win. But that will not, if there's some kind of underlying problem and he's an expression of that, it will not solve that problem. <laughs> um, it will exacerbate it because the more that, he's attacked by the media the more his supporters see the media yeah, it as corrupt. people yeah it just makes it means people will have less and less trust in uh in politics and you know the thing the causes that where he came from would just be exacerbated um so yeah no it is it's fascinating very timely subject to include a recommendation it's going more from a documentary in that it is entertaining and also about something and it, it supersedes its subject matter though it's called wiener it's really it's much bigger than the man, or indeed, his penis. Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. I went to see a movie that was also um, very informative, interesting, insightful, but it had a lot of big explosions in it, so it's much better. Uh, Star Trek Beyond is the new Star Trek film. It's the 13th 
Star Trek movie overall, or the third one since the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot. And um, this time it's helmed by Justin Lin, the director of a bunch of Fast and Furious movies. He's taken over from J.J. Abrams. Simon Pegg is one of the co-writers. It takes uh, place a few years after the end of Star Trek Into Darkness. People basically decided that movie wasn't very good. Everyone who made it, everyone who watched it, they are all like, that was shit. <laughs> uh, the only person who probably liked it was, um, who's that guy, Roberto Orki? Is that what he's called? Alex Kurtzman. And Ru- no, Roberto yeah. Orsi. Was Orsi, the, he yeah. was the writer. I think he, he wrote a draft of the third movie and then he was sort of booted off um, relatively unceremoniously. Um, and so he's out of the way and they, they're basically kind of pretending that it didn't happen so i think if you didn't watch that movie then that would be completely fine the only thing is that um spock and uh uhura are an item um but anyway so the beginning of the movie they are on their mission they're out there uh, trekking amongst the stars exploring new worlds and so on and so forth they've been doing it for uh, three years there's a they're sort of having a bit of a mid journey crisis kind of thing kirk is wondering if this is what he's really supposed to be doing and they stop off in Yorktown, which is a brand new Federation base on the edge of known space. Looks really awesome. It's like a giant orb. It's a bit like, you know, that ring in Halo yeah. the computer game. It's yeah. like that. But if it was like, you know, a whole globe of interlocking um, swirls and stuff. And it's all these cool. like big skyscrapers all pointing inwards. Pretty cool. They stop off there. And a distress signal basically sends them out into a new... Um, off on a new adventure where they are attacked and uh they end up stranded on a planet uh, the, the crew is dispersed and two of the people who are left on this planet are spock and bones they're together wandering around here is a clip of them um having a little chat a little lovey bicker leaving me behind will significantly increase your chances of survival doctor well that's damn sure so we have completely out of the question it is imperative that you locate any surviving crew here i was thinking you cared I care, Leonard. I always assumed my respect for you was clear. The dialogue we have had across the years has it's always... Okay, Spock. You don't have to say it. Well, at least I won't die alone. Well, that's just typical. So I think that clip captures um, a lot of what the movie is trying to do to appeal to you, which is basically um, you love these guys. You love seeing them hang out. They're a kind of fun family um, and it wants to create fun situations for them to bounce off each other. And the main thrust of the film is um, basically setting them up as a family that um, is struggling to think of a reason to stay together and might, you know, fall to pieces and then a disaster happens and then they are kind of brought back together at the end and they've reforged their bonds and everyone is uh, pumping their fists it got a it got an excellent reception this movie a lot of the stuff that i read about it on uh in reviews and i was listening to podcasts about it were from people who are big trekkies and have strong opinions about what a trek film should be like because they've seen all pre all 13 of them um, and how these characters should interact and how they should be uh, played and stuff. Um, they seem to be happy. I don't have very strong views about it myself. So I think some of the subtleties of, you know, oh my God, the way the bones argue with Spock is so perfect, you know, yeah. that's, like that's a little bit lost on me. Um, and for me, I just, 
essentially found it to be a propulsive and entertaining blockbuster. Um, starts more strong than it ends, but overall is um, sort of fine. Um, I like the beginning a lot. It's um, Justin Lin uh, took over from J.J. Abrams in this franchise, and I think it um, is an improvement <laughs> uh, because J.J. Abrams is a filmmaker who seems a bit worried that his um, audience has got ADD and every scene has got to have like a monster burst through the door at the end to, to kind of keep you excited or like explosions happen constantly and logic is a little sacrifice for pace. Um, and this is kind of true of this film, um, but mainly in the, toward, you know, more as the film goes on in the kind of second half. And the beginning of the movie is quite strong. It captures the sense of exploration and of adventure that you kind of want a Star Trek film to have. Um, and uh, Justin Lin has a good, he's very interested in uh, the places that he's created. And it reminds me a bit of Peter Jackson um, and what he did in Lord of the Rings where he was obviously really delighted by the work that his team had done on all the miniatures and stuff. And he did these quite elaborate camera moves, swooping around and showing you everything and inviting you to be awed by this world. Yeah. Um, and this film, um, this film has got a very similar sense. And it also reminded me a little bit of the um, last episode of Firefly, which uh, that uh, TV series, Joss, Joss Whedon um, space at TV series, and in which the final episode is a kind of exploration of the ship um and kind of goes through the mechanics and wires and and stuff inside the the ship that it's set on and this does a similar thing with the enterprise and it seems a lot more um about the enterprise as a space and gives you a bit more a sense of the scale and how it works sure um rather than just being like it's a bridge and it's an engine room and it's a few corridors but it's like as big yeah, yeah. as a town. they don't have the budget they have the budget of a movie it's right like, exactly there's yeah. no necessity in what they show right yeah i mean it, it's it's bigger budget but it's also um just a bit more um it feels like more of a kind of investigation yeah um which is cool it's nice having that stuff presented to you it's like the movie is really reaching out to you and being like this stuff is awesome check it out and i and i, and I really enjoyed that and the pacing of the beginning is quite gentle. Um, it's not boring, but it's not too worried that you're going to switch off if people don't start fighting in one second. Um, and it just like sets up the characters and has them hang out a bit. And I really, um, you know, I was perfectly happy to enjoy that. I felt quite confident, which was good and impressive given that this movie was turned around in an extremely tight time frame. I think it was something like 18 months from... Justin Lin and Simon Pegg being in a room together, staring at a blank page to the movie coming out. <laughs> um, in the second half of the movie, things don't go so well. And some of that has to do with the bad guy who is called Kral. 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 What a bad guy name. A lot of the made up sci-fi bullshit in this sounds very much like that. It's just the first bunch of syllables they thought of. <laughs> There's a kind of MacGuffin like ultra weapon to destroy everything, which is not particularly explored. And it's called the Abernath. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that sounds like a thing that would be in a fantasy film. Yeah, when they were interviewing Simon Pegg on the Empire Spoiler podcast, he was like, I was calling it the Abronath, but everyone, else, but all the actors in the film just called it the Abernath, so it had to be called that. It's like, okay, it's total, it's just nonsense either way. No one really gives a shit what it is, what it does. <laughs> but Kral. But Kral. So, yeah, so he's played by Idris Elba. Idris Elba is a great actor, and he invests all his roles with maximum acting. And it's one of those things where his uh, role is extremely generic. 
like sort of covered in makeup, angry, snarling villain. I would crush you. Uh, mm-hmm. Says cruel stuff all the time. Is mean. Yeah. Um, but Idris is playing it like you know it's Shakespeare, basically. Brilliant. Um, and he's really committing himself to it. And the poor guy is not, you know, both the movie's does... not meeting him halfway. No, he doesn't have that much on the page. And also, you can't act that much when your face is caked and sure. alien, you know, facial stuff. And I think part of the issue is that because the pace ramps up a lot in the second half and it's much more about getting from A to B and kind of zipping along and not letting you look at the plot holes too much. A lot of the backstory of this villain character and a lot of the you know stuff that could potentially be interesting to explore with him is kind of sacrificed because they're much more interested in, in the protagonist. So he just comes off like very generic and there's like a few things where it's like, let's watch a video to explain his motivations or he gets like one line. That sounds helpful. It is helpful. It's very useful. It's a bit like in Bourne where they just uh, read <laughs> the plot off screens. <laughs> so I think that as far as Idris is concerned, he's playing a very three-dimensional character. But as far as the audience is concerned, it doesn't really come off. Sure. And that extends to um, his plan and to you know the other bad guys that surround him. It's slightly weird that he's got... like If you've seen the trailers, you'll have seen that he's got an absolutely vast fleet of flying tiny... Um, air spacecraft that kind of tear into the enterprise and looks really badass but there's like hundreds of thousands of them uh but his base is like a tiny collection of huts on a planet <laughs> that looks really cheap <laughs> i used all the metal of this planet building those fleets of <laughs> things yes and all i had left was wood for my hut um so i like... could sacrifice one of these things to build another <laughs> i wouldn't do that <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's the scale is completely different, whether sure. like it's on the planet or in space. Um, but they kind of don't dwell on it. It's like don't question that too much. Don't, don't question it. it. Not important. So I think like one of the reasons I'm similar to you in that I'm not a huge Trek aficionado, but like one of the reasons that's often cited for why it's endured is that it's sort of optimistic about humanity and also it's quite ideas driven and uh, more cerebral than generic sci-fi fare. But does that like hasn't really been the case in the previous two J.J. Yeah. Abrams ones? Is it like any more ideas driven than? Well, I think it's a it's a similar thing to with Idris's character in that on the page they obviously had a bunch of ideas for what this movie was going to be, and um, on the screen, um, a lot of it has been kind of chipped away to the point that doesn't there are no strong um, ideas that are kind of pushed by the movie. There's something to do with about the price of utopia and how who is the Federation left behind in its um, efforts to expand and bring peace to everyone and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, what it amounts to is a bit of window dressing to an otherwise generic evil guy. Sure. Um, and maybe correctly, they're more interested in um, the characters and in their personal arcs, which are quite effectively and functionally done. And because it's an ensemble piece, there's just a lot of work to be done to give everyone stuff to do and to give them places to go over the course of the film. Um, and it doesn't, it's not a massively emotional movie, but I think it's quite effective in just um, doing all of that busy work to make sure that, you know, they've had arcs and stuff has happened and feels satisfying um, and that everyone gets a little moment to shine or they, they, they're all given a place. Um, and, uh, so so I think it prioritizes that over great you know powerful emphatic themes um and yeah and the the cast is very charming they're all good um Chris Pine I like as uh, Captain Kirk he's very effective in that role I mean again like I'm not like comparing him to William Shatner all the time because I don't really like, know because I don't watch the TV series but I find Chris Pine to be an actor of 
somewhat limited charisma generally i haven't been like that fascinated by him in his other roles and i think that his role as captain kirk is kind of um squeezing every last drop of cinematic charisma out of him um so i think it's like a really good role for him uh, zachary quinto is really good as spock and um, someone whose name i've forgotten again Carl, Carl Carl Urban. I, this is the second time i'm doing this review by the way listeners i'm going to drop that bit of truth in now we recorded this whole review and if I sound a bit stuttering, it's because I'm like struggling to remember what the hell I said last time. <laughs> but we lost it. <laughs> so I'm doing it again. And I'd forgotten Carl Urban's name before. It's, and it's quite a cool sounding name. So I don't know why I'm forgetting yeah. it. Uh, but anyway, he's very good as Bones. And the newcomers, Idris Elba, I've always said, is like quite entertaining. And there's a woman um, whose name I don't remember. I think she's called Sophie something. <laughs> who plays a kind of friendly alien they meet on the planet. Whose role is basically to be a kind of strong angry assertive woman character um and helena hiram at this point the empire podcast there a lot of what you see in modern blockbusters these days is a kind of sop to female empowerment which is like a character who's like strong and assertive but actually just has no effect on the plot Um, yeah and that's kind of the issue with her where she comes in it's like cool woman character you know but then is a bit sidelined by the the functions of the movie sure but yeah i would i would say that it is a uh not a film that will will change your life but i found it to be a perfectly pleasant way to spend the time and having heard about how quickly they had to make it it made me admire the movie more almost just as a testament to the effectiveness of those filmmakers um and that all the people involved to like churn something that looks so slick and works so effectively given like how fucking long did Zack snyder spend making batman v superman and it's like an absolute mess from start to finish and this makes sense on most levels. <laughs> um, you know, doesn't does, not not a total success, but um, yeah, just a, a perfectly serviceable, fine film. I would watch them. I'd watch a fourth one probably. Oh, cool. You know, without being too angry about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> a sequel would not enrage me. <laughs> I wouldn't be furious. That's a great. They should put that on the poster. Yeah, that's that's a ringing endorsement from me. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo She's the queen but she wants to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end So... One of the big things in uh, the Wiener documentary is dick pics Mm -hmm. And it's a very timely film to come out now Because um, today, I believe As of recording this on Friday I believe a, a dick pic dropped today yeah, Orlando Bloom. Have you seen um, Bloom's dick? Well, it's a slightly different situation in that it's not a picture he took himself, but he was doing some naked paddleboarding yes. as you do. Yeah, and yeah. someone took a pic of his dick. Was Unlike, it like a was it like a papped pic? It was a papped, papped pic, dick pic. Papped dick pic. Yeah, that's gonna cause a lot of popping. Of a dick the... by a dick. Some dick papped <laughs> a dick pic <laughs> of Bloom's dick. <laughs> Outrageous. Well, that's kind of wrong, isn't it? That's like ethically quite bad, isn't it? Yes. Um, I'm not sure. I didn't know that I had that sort of uh, dirty angle. And I feel sort of complicit in that I've seen the, the pic. That would be I saw it on Twitter. a great loophole in that, like, it's illegal to pap someone if they're naked and just, like, if celebrities don't want to get papped. I just, don't think you should be able to pap someone's dick and balls um, and just, just send that out there. I'm not, that's not right, is it? That's not right, He's obviously, he's probably naked in a place where it's legitimate to be naked. Yeah, he's probably getting in touch with, you know, sort of... Nature and stuff. Yeah, nature and shit. I have to say, it's not a bad photo of him. He looks pretty good in it. I feel... I don't feel that sorry for him because it's quite flattering dick <laughs> pic. the gym. 
yeah, his uh, penis looks quite nice in it, and um, he's quite a you know he's got a he's got a good um, body, hot bod, hot bod, nice dick. <laughs> so I think he comes comes out quite well. But anyway, so obviously this got me thinking about dick pics. Sure. I was like, there's got to be a way to combine these two dick-related picture incidents, turn that into great radio. So I d- did some work kind of brutalizing my Google search history, making it as weird as possible. <laughs> I was Googling dick pics, history of dick pics. I thought maybe there was going to be some interesting information out there. Turns out those historical, there there is some history of dick pic stuff, but it's quite tongue-in-cheek. I thought it was going to be like quite academic and dry and serious, but it's like jokey, which is lame. What? Um, so a serious I, issue. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of videos on YouTube that are like how to deal with dick pics and like gives you advice about them. Sure. You also find some instruction manuals for how to take dick pics. So, for example, here's one um, on the tab, which is like Cambridge University's sort of tabloid. This says the tab Cardiff. So maybe this is the Cardiff edition. This is by Amy Butler. So I guess this is a lady who's saying this is how she'd like to receive a dick pic. Yeah. She instructs you to make sure that you've got, well, she says, utilize mood lighting and fancy dress. Okay, let me just reposition some of these lights. <laughs> Are you going to take a dick pic now? Why not? Sure. Let's get, a, let's get a dick pic of Danny. We'll put this up on Facebook later. Yeah. So mood lighting and fancy dress. Fancy I don't know. That doesn't sound very sexy. Fancy dress. Fancy, fancy dress. dress. She doesn't really like expand a, on that. Like a sort of silk backdrop or something. I guess like so. Tapestry. Or you're like wearing a nice hat or something like that. Well, or you're dressed dick. as a wizard, but with your dick out. Whatever well, whatever you prefer. So is it like a full body shot with my dick exposed or just the dick? I think she gets onto that. Okay. The next one is use artistic angles. Okay. So... Dutch tilt. What you shouldn't necessarily do is just like... I think it would be probably better to set it up with a kind of timer thing. Where you kind of put it from a distance. Time lapse. Got you. Time lapse. I got you. Because that's going to be more flattering than just from above. Yeah. Um, although, uh, Maybe... Amy Butler of the tab does say, from above gives us the opportunity to feel like we have a penis ourselves. Right. From below, we get a glimpse of a delightfully hairy ball sack. And a bird's eye view shot really lets us marvel in all its glory. So she seems to think that all angles are quite good. Okay, all angles are good. From below, that sounds like that's got to be a bad angle. Well, you can maybe do a bit of forced perspective and make your dick look bigger. Yes. If you angle it from below. What, you mean like put tiny model buildings <laughs> next to it or something? Yeah, but like a sort of miniature village. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your dick looks massive. So it looks absolutely enormous. Actually, this is her next thing. Um, she says, adopt creative comparisons. So uh, show us a comparison to as many phallic-shaped objects as possible. And here she's got an example of some Batiste dry shampoo. Right. I'm not I'm not sure about these instructions. What's in your room. I could use that bottle of bottle of wine. What about the box that I bought my wireless mini soundbar in? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's, that's quite sort of a big um just, cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. Sturdy. Solid. As well. Very sturdy. She suggests maybe on the kitchen surface. Oh, what be you could prepare food. There's a, there's a good Come place on. to put it. I am increasingly I'm thinking that she is not really looking for the to- the optimal dick pics here. She says, let every girl on Tinder know you're keen for an exchange. Don't stop at broadcasting it to your Tinder matches. Why not make posters and stick them up around the students' union? Wait All a second. Right. Hang on. This oh, is, come on. This is silly, isn't it? I don't think this is just a silly article. Well, I've already set up the mood lighting, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> okay. From here, I think it looks quite good. Thanks, man. I actually think that Orlando 
Uh, actually, can I see the pick? Yeah, sure. Wow, that is that is. I mean, that is strong. That's strong. That's bloom strong. And on that note, <laughs> and on that lovely note, all right. So look out for the picture of Danny's penis on our Facebook page. Like it, share it, um, put it on. Don't flag it. Put it on Flickr. <laughs> Don't flag it. <laughs> it may contravene some of Facebook's more stringent and, rules. Uh, next week we'll be reviewing. I'm seeing Barry Lyndon. Oh, cool. So I'll review the, that. Um, BFI. It's three hours long. It's good. I've seen it. Not cool. for years. I don't remember it that well. It's lit by candles or something. Yeah. Um. It's all. It's all lit by bloody candles. Mood lighting. You could take some great dick. Great dick. <laughs> there are some. Good, there's actually some good dick shots in Barry Lyndon. Cool. If anyone you want Kubrick taking your dick pic, he's the guy. Um. And what else? I don't know. There's some Suicide options. Squad. Yeah. Suicide Squad. Go see that or the BFG or something, depending on my mood. Sick. See you then, guys. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, tired. Tired. <laughs> t- tired. Goodbye. <laughs>